At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. WebmasterRadio.fm presents a show custom-built to give you everything you need to build your business on the web. WebmasterRadio.fm presents CEO Coach. From funding to finance, set up the staffing. Our CEO coaches break down the art of business development from the ground up. Now here to get you started are the experts of online business startup, management, and development. The founders of Outlines Venture Group, Jillian Music and Ann Kennedy. The following is an encore segment of CEO Coach. And welcome to CEO Coach. This is Jillian Music, and I have with me my guest, Susan Siegel. Uh, Susan was a former uh, CEO at the Washington Technology Industry Association. Several other creds to her name. She was a co-founder and partner at, at Seapoint Ventures. Welcome back, Susan. Hey, thanks. It's great to be here again. Very cool. Tell us a little about the background for those who may not have downloaded the previous show. Okay. Well, just in a nutshell, I've had a long, very, um, I think, productive career. So very heavily uh, transactionally oriented as a finance uh, professional. Ended up in the venture capital industry in 1997 in Seattle, Washington. As Jillian mentioned, I was a co-founder of Seapoint Ventures, which was an early stage uh, venture capital firm. In fact, Seapoint still exists. So uh, from there, um, I was really fortunate to be part of the Seattle Pacific Northwest uh, uh, ecosystem as it came up into its own post-Microsoft IPO and all of the good stuff that has happened here over the last 18 to 20 years. Um, As part of my give back, for four years I ran the state of Washington's Technology Trade Association and that also was, um, was a really wonderful experience in terms of spreading the net of just getting to see at a 30,000 foot level all of the various technology um, initiatives that are going around, uh, going on in the Northwest. So, way cool. That's a great background. We're going to talk today about what CEOs should know before they ever walk into a venture capitalist. So, let's start with how you know whether or not you're ready to walk into a venture capitalist. I've got a company. Am I ready for Angel or am I ready for a VC? Well, I think that is a, that's a really great question and I think it's a function of you know, what your existing knowledge or relationship might be with, uh, with the venture capital industry. So certainly there are a lot of um, early stage uh, initiatives in which there may be um, knowledge or relationships on a friendly, you know, basis with venture capitalists that are willing to talk to you, even though you know that they are not yet at the point where your company might be developed enough to uh, be an investment target. So just, you know, keeping them informed, staying warm, but those are, I would say those are rare. For the most part, most early stage 
companies don't have those type of relationships. So, you know, that's ultimately where you're headed. So the question is, how do you begin that process, even from the day you, as we used to, you know, jokingly say, fall out of bed with an idea. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and, there, and there are places to go to help you do that. So obviously there's the standard, you know, event-oriented mentoring sessions, and there's a lot of organized um, entities that are helping young entrepreneurs do this. But I guess, you know, one of the things prior to this um, official launch here broadcast, Jilly and I were talking about is the listening, and that comes in a couple of different forms, right? So um, what you want to do is make sure that you are doing the due diligence, getting yourself ready ultimately to be in that in front of that audience uh, every bit as much as they would ultimately do due diligence on you, supposing they or assume that they are um, interested in investing. So that that due diligence um, consists of a lot of different things. You obviously want to uh, find out as much as you can about who would be your target venture capitalist, whether that's a, you know, a direct investment or getting a warm, friendly interview uh, as a starting point. But um, there, are, there are certain you know, key blogs that are places that you can stay current with what they are thinking. Uh, obvious spots are Fred Wilson's blog, um, also uh, Tom... Thomas Tomas out of Red Point Ventures, people like this that really stay current and they blog every day, and it, they're just huge sources of information about what's going on in the industry. So, you know, all of that leads to understanding your target market. You really need, uh, these young entrepreneurs really need to understand where the mindset of these investors uh, are well before they, they get in the door because you don't get a lot of shots at this. You don't get a lot of repeat invitations to show up in front of these folks. So being prepared is a form of listening that I think is critically important. Cool. So we'll add some of these uh, links for folks that you would recommend people either follow on Twitter or follow their blogs mm-hmm. and that sort of thing over on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash CEO Coach Podcast. Again, facebook.com slash CEO Coach Podcast. So um, it makes sense that you would want to follow the folks who um, would be transparent in this ecosystem, get a sense of who's investing in what, uh, perhaps which venture capitalists would be good for you and so on. But what metrics do I look at in my own company to say I'm ready for angels or I'm ready for VCs? Yeah. Where do I start? So I think that the key there, too, is understanding the industry at large over and above just the individual investors. I think that there's a lot of places you can go to get data on you know, what is going on in the venture capital industry at large? And that would be, you know, maybe the Wilson-Sonsini quarterly report or Fenwick and West or National Venture Capital Association. But I, but specifically to your question, I will say this. Lots and lots of early stage venture capital firms say that they invest in conceptual initiatives. That's actually not true. If you really look, look, you know, kind of beneath the hood, it sounds great, but most, most even early stage venture capital firms are looking for how close you are to revenue. And so that's a, that's a metric line of demarcation. And what is that revenue? Is that recurring revenue? Is that a one-off custom? I'm going to build a, an API for a, for an organization or what that, 
that doesn't necessarily count. So you're looking mm -hmm. for how close are they to some type of recurring revenue, which is right. obviously the scalability jumping right. off point, right? right? Repl replicable so, revenue. Can you do this right. again? Right. right. So that and, makes good sense. Yeah. I would agree. And I also agree that venture capitalists don't actually have the kind of risk tolerance required for early stage investment. Right. Um, you know, it's funny because that's the business they're in, yeah. but it's not yeah. the case. Well, you know, it's kind of funny because there's a lot of internal old jokes that are fake statements, cliches that, you know, uh, venture capitalists are um, um, risk takers up until the time they write the first check. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah. agree. Um, I find the same actually with angels or angel groups especially. Um, they don't actually have the risk tolerance in collection, if you will, in the group to invest in early stage companies. Mm -hmm. They ask the kinds of questions I expect out of venture capitalists around uh, early stage revenue, having already launched, done all of this stuff. And it's like, wait a minute, that's what we needed the money to get to so that we could go to the VCs. And the angel groups are asking VC style questions in order for them to write the check. Generally, I find that if you really are in the earliest stages, it's kind of a friends and family play, and Definitely. you've got to make right. angels or even super angels your friends in order yes. to get to the friend and family round. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, that is yeah. totally the case. And I will say this: if you look at if you if you're uh, involved with a lot of early stage companies and you actually see what angels are repeatedly investing, and God bless them, because typically it turns out that they are the folks that have made a lot of money doing uh, successful early stage companies. Now, unfortunately, there aren't enough of them to go around. So, you know, in our ecosystem, there are just some key players that I tell you, they, they should get, you know, gold stars, national exposure. I'm thinking people like uh, Rudy Godry, who was the, you know, in-house legal counsel at Facebook, and he's, mm -hmm. you know, he is um, now part of the uh, angel investing um, kind of ecosystem in, in the Pacific Northwest, and I, I just read the other day that he's done, like, something like 60 angel investments over the last two years. He's the most popular guy in town, mm -hmm. but those folks, they've taken those, or they, re they relate. Mm -hmm. They can relate to the early-stage entrepreneur, and they're not risk-adverse, um, and part my my presumption is part of what they do they do not simply for the you know the ROI that they are hoping for but really because they understand and they support the level of participation they want to give back to help companies get off the ground. So there's that piece of it. Yeah, I would totally agree. And uh, for those very early stage folks who are still in conceptual stuff, or even if you've launched your alpha or beta uh, site, but have not really hit that replicable, you know, recurring revenue stream type stuff, uh, you'll be looking for angels who kind of get your space. Yeah. Uh, if they understand where you're coming from, you have a much better shot at this. Once you've gotten some funding, you put together a board. Uh, don't necessarily need a board of directors before you get funded, or do you? Oh, I think you actually do. And I will tell you why I think you do. Because you want to set standards from the very beginning that you are going to get the best people possible to help you. And I think if you have even one or two very head-turning, impressive board members, even as an early-stage company, when you go to get institutional investing that's a that's a check the box that's a good sign okay right? so, so there is an expense if you will to a board of directors versus a board of advisors uh in the earliest stages even paying just directors and officers insurance can be a strain on a budget uh it's, it's just a few hundred bucks but 
it's a big deal. And no director worth their salt is going to serve on your board of directors right. till they're sure you've got them covered. Yeah. So um, does board of advisors work when you start and say, basically, this is my board of directors in the wings. When I'm funded, this will happen. Well, I think that it depends on, you know, just the, the level of expectation and, and who the director is. You, you, you know, you see a lot of different um, makeups of advisor boards and ultimately boards of directors. But on the advisory side in the early stages, there are people out there that really believe, yeah, they, they, um, they, and they want to help, but they're not, they're not prepared to write checks. So they're almost the, um, they're the opposite side of the coin of an angel investor, but mm-hmm. they give expertise. I'm, I've got a couple mm-hmm. of people in mind that are mm-hmm. just fantastic at this, and they take on one or two at a time, and they're running something. They're the CEO mm-hmm. of a major endeavor, but it is their form of give back. Mm-hmm. And so the expectation has to be set early on, both with the entrepreneur and the advisor, of what is the time commitment, what are you really gonna, going to do for me, and... Um, and I, you know, I'm on a couple of, well, I'm actually on a, an early stage company board. I started off on their advisory board. I'm now part of their board of directors. And as soon as they raised enough angel money, way before they'd even hit a million dollars, they were buying DNO insurance because mm-hmm. it was so important to get these people engaged. And having those people engaged just really helped them on the fundraising trail and right. helped them strategically. And, and they compensated their board of directors with- Equity only, through equity only, only. Totally. And equity equity only. yeah, right. And, and no, I see the same thing. No, happen. no early stage. No, no mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of my consulting friends out there. They're going to call me up and say, "What are you? Why are you? You know, saying this?" <laughs> but I don't think any early stage company should be considering writing cash checks to an advisor or a board director. There's, you know, and you want to get people that believe, and they, if they believe, they will do it for the equity. That sounds reasonable to me. So the last takeaways here are get that board of directors in place as early as possible. Board of advisors, when you're making no money and have no money, and board of directors, as soon as you have even the few hundred bucks required for directors and officers insurance. And then go out and get the biggest guns you can because they will help you to raise that next level of capital. Right. Brilliant advice. Yeah. What's your hottest tip? Before we leave, what's your hottest tip for my, okay, our CEOs my, who are listening? My hottest tip is to, you know, with the right people, be vulnerable because there is so much about this industry that you don't know. And people make big mistakes early on because they don't know what they don't know. It is not a, it is not a mark of ignorance. It is not a lack of sophistication. It's a niche industry. And you actually, you don't go learn this in you know, business school, when you mm-hmm. get into it, when you decide you're going to start a company, this is where you start learning OJT, right? Mm-hmm. And so early on, when uh, entrepreneurs don't know what they don't know, they can actually screw their company up from the very beginning, even if it's the best idea that's ever come across the planet. And that is they can get too many angels involved. They can they can create cap tables and different, you know, entity structures that that most institutional investors won't touch with a 10-foot pole. It doesn't matter what the proposition is. They'll, they'll look at 150 angel investors, and they're done. That's it. Okay. There's no way. And, and the 100 
I mean, the, the best ple- people to go and get that advice from the entity structure, uh, you know, how to accept cash, whether you should have minimum investments, all of those kinds of things to get that cap table in order to make what right. we call that clean, beautiful clean, cap table. Yes. Right. And to, again, have an entity structure that uh, people will want to invest in from the angel to the VCs. Right. Where would you find those people? Well, this again is about making friends early on. So a lot of the really great uh, law firms that um, work with early stage companies and I think you know they're the usual suspects but they're they're fabulous firms a lot of them do the the key attorneys will do mentoring and also mm-hmm. I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't know that a lot of these law firms actually have special deals they structure for early early stage companies that there's no cash outlay uh, it's it's you know they mm-hmm. they've got a certain pro bono thing they do there's there's mm-hmm. terms that come in in the future if certain things happen but if you you know in the end the structure of your entity is all about the legal creation of it so if you can work directly with an attorney that's mm-hmm. ultimately going to be your counsel that's going to help you build this thing from the beginning and listen to them that's the other point yes. you got to listen to them right. <laughs> yes. Um, that to me, that's ideal, right? Because they are they are the closest to the fire. They're the source of the legal creation of your company and best practices and and all of that stuff. I'm a big fan. I'm a, I'm actually a very big fan of the big law firms because there are people in them that are just amazing. Sounds pretty good. So look for the best and the brightest. Make sure you're in really good hands super early on. Yep. In other words, don't build your small enterprise like a small enterprise. Build it like Perfect. a monster that you expect it to become. The IPOable company. You there start, you go. That's my mentality. I'm going to build an IPOable company. So, yes. Perfect. IPOable. I yeah. think we just coined a word. <laughs> I just make that up? You don't want to mess that one up. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jillian Music with Susan Siegel. Thanks again. It was brilliant to have you with us. Thanks. Uh, hope to have you again uh, sometime in the future. More on how to get your business on the web with CEO Coach after this. InternetMarketingINC.com is one of the fastest-growing full-service digital marketing agencies in the country, specializing in providing results-driven online marketing solutions. Internet Marketing Inc.'s passionate team prides themselves on staying ahead of marketing trends to create and implement campaigns that get more traffic to your website, gain positive brand awareness, and drive conversions. If you are looking for a data-driven approach to online marketing and advertising, call Internet Marketing Inc. today at 866-563-0620 or visit internetmarketinginc.com. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. InternetMarketingNinjas.com, your mobile business with online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Paywin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. 
Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at internetmarketingninjas.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. We're back with Jillian Music and Ann Kennedy on CEO Coach, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. The following is an encore segment of CEO Coach. Welcome to CEO Coach. This is Ann Kennedy, and I'm here with Jillian Music. Our guest is Rebecca Lieb of Altimeter, an analyst group. Welcome to CEO Coach, Rebecca. And I couldn't be happier than to be with both of you here today. Thank you so much for having me. Super de duper. So our audience um, may not understand a lot about what analysts do, uh, what that analysts can do for them. So would you just start talking about what it is that you do at Altimeter? You okay to go ahead and, uh, you know, give us a bit of a plug. We're inviting you to do that. And uh, then we'll talk about uh, what an analyst can do for uh, a startup. Sure, I'm more than happy to. So at Altimeter Group, we are research analysts. I'm sure that your audience are familiar with some of the larger-based research groups, the Foresters of the world, the Gartners of the world. Altimeter is slightly smaller. We're a more boutique agency. We focus on disruptive technologies, and we help companies to profit and thrive in the face of disruption, which, which sounds, you know, fairly abstract. I'll try and ground that in, in something more concrete. We have a group of analysts who have different areas of specialization. Our founder, Charlene Lee, uh, specializes in management primarily and business organization. Brian Solis is another one of our co my colleagues who specializes in customer experience and digital disruption. Susan Etlinger specializes in big data and analytics and metrics. I look at content and advertising and marketing. Uh, my colleague Andrew um, also looks at um, different types of social media marketing experience and, and marketing automation. And Together, we research our fields of expertise. Uh, these are often overlapping fields of expertise. We're always researching. We're always publishing research and findings. And then we advise companies based on our ongoing research how to move forward in the face of this constantly evolving technological landscape and do their jobs, conduct their business, go to market better. We work with everybody from Fortune 500s to startups. We, we really do cover the waterfront. 
You mentioned the research. Um, is that available to uh, your clients or to the general public as well? I'm so glad you asked that, Anne. Uh, one of our big differentiators at Altimeter Group is while most of our competitors sell their research or make it available through subscriptions, we feel that our uh, our personal disruption is by making our our research available through Creative Commons. So anybody can go to our website, altimetergroup.com, and help themselves to any of the research that we publish. We make it available for free under Creative Commons. We just ask that if you like it, you share it, pass it on, and of course, attribute us if you cite our work. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, I think the this is the rising tide lifts all the boats or something like that uh, to, to provide this. Um, so we'll put that link up on our Facebook page um, when the after the show. So let's go back to the startups because most of our audience is the not the Fortune 500s um, because we aim our content for the, the startups, the entrepreneurs, um, the companies on the way up. Why is uh, talking to you um, or any one of your colleagues important for a, a startup? It's important not just for startups. It's important pretty much for any technology company uh, in the areas that we concentrate on. I spend a huge amount of time, as do most of my colleagues, talking to startups as well as talking to the big boys in the field. I I spend a lot of time talking to Adobe, talking to Cisco, talking to Oracle, talking to Salesforce. Uh, We have a mantra at Altimeter, which is always be researching. And part of always be researching is knowing what's going on in the technology sector because startups, as well as the big tech giants, are the companies that are disrupting. It is critical that we know what going on in the industry, both because of our research, this helps inform our research, but also because of a secondary function that we consider very important. Because we're out there on the forefront, really on the front lines of what's happening in, in, in technology, we're connectors. This isn't necessarily something we get paid for or an official part of our job, but when we listen to a company say, hey, we're doing this, we think, gee, we just talked to another company and they could really benefit from this, or you really need to know so-and-so, or a VC just told me they were looking for that, or somebody else told me they need to partner with somebody who does this. We make a lot of introductions. Companies have received finance, been acquired, gained clients, or a company will tell us about work that they're doing and we'll feature it in a speech that we give, in a report that we write. We're very well positioned to showcase work. In addition to uh, advising our clients, which is generally work that we do behind closed doors, another very important part of the work we do and a very important part of the way that we earn money as analysts is something that we call thought leadership, which translates into plain English uh, as giving speeches. We speak at most industry conferences, at trade groups, at 
events all over the world and all over the country. So when we speak to companies and become familiar with their work, it's a great way for us to add to our database of case studies. Um, And we do maintain an enormous database of case studies, um, perhaps one of the largest ones in the world. Our research staff maintains it. And we draw on that database when we're making presentations to our clients, as well as presentations to the general public. So it's a great way for startups in particular to get their name and their work out there, which is a challenge that startups face. So you mentioned your database um, or your um, your team. How big is Altimeter? In terms We're- of a- we're boutique. We're only about 24 employees, a number that we hit about a year and a half ago when we made a very conscious decision not to grow uh, fundamentally for a while because we had doubled in size over the past year. And we work very, very hard to maintain uh, a company culture. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, yes. small is beautiful. And, <laughs> and small is beautiful. Um, that, that might change by the end of this year, but uh, we were doing something that we called storming, and then we are currently concentrating very hard on what we call norming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yep, familiar with that. And culture really does trump all um, when you're building a, be- developing a company. Um, so how would a company get engaged with you? Um, a startup? A number of different ways. You know, if they're interested in working with us, they they would approach us with a problem or a challenge and we would uh, suggest different approaches. But one of the best ways for a company to engage with us, particularly a startup, is to conduct or ask us if we are interested, because we cannot accept all requests, uh, to conduct a briefing with us. And we are constantly conducting briefings to get to know new companies. In fact, I reserve Fridays of every week to do almost nothing but conduct briefings, not just with new companies, but to do refresher briefings with companies I haven't spoken to in a while. Uh, I won't talk to a lot of companies more than once a year unless it's one of the giants or unless a company is introducing a, a significant new product or service or, or modification in its business model. One thing we're looking at as analysts, um, a very, very critical part of my job is pattern recognition. So I'm not just looking at these companies as isolated entities, which I'm certainly doing. I'm also looking at the industry as a whole. So, for example, the the most recent research report I published was on the content vendor landscape. Um, I looked at over a hundred content marketing vendors and conducted dozens and dozens and dozens of briefings in order to write that piece of research. So, while we wrote individual profiles of each one of those vendors in the report, I'm also looking at the entirety of that landscape and I'm breaking that landscape down into eight different um, work group scenarios because nobody had ever broken down the content marketing landscape into use cases before. 
So you're really uh, uh, looking at trends and developments from aggregating the different pieces of information that you find and recognizing patterns. That's brilliant because I think uh, particularly individual companies tend to get sort of focused on what they're doing and don't have a really good picture of the larger scheme of things or the way things are moving. So that must bring a, a real value to the marketplace, to your marketplace. We hope so. And in order to do this, we're also talking to their customers. We're talking to VCs. We're talking effectively to the whole industry. So we, we do like to think that we have a 360-degree view of what's going on. And we feel that that's what brings value to this conversation. You know, in, in putting together this, um, this last piece of research on the content vendor landscape – there had recently been published a Lumiscape on the content vendor landscape. And I, I think Lumiscapes are wonderful, and it's great to see all those brands and logos laid out. But I thought, you know, as an analyst, I need to go deeper. This is helpful in the way that the Yellow Pages is helpful. But I need the drill down on each one of these companies in order to make decisions, make determinations, know what my consideration set as a marketer is when I need to engage with one of these companies or three of these companies or 10 of these companies, because it sure isn't going to be with 150 of these companies. So before we go to our break, I wanted to ask you just some real practical questions about preparing for a briefing. Mm-hmm. And then we'll circle back to the larger things you've been talking about. You gave us a great idea, great look at the content you're looking for. But what about the actual practical considerations? Is a deck essential? A deck is very helpful. It's not essential. Uh, It's useful. And I love to have a copy of it because when I go back to the briefing, I want to refer to notes. It's very helpful to have that show and tell. And here's another thing. We often do briefings online and we'll do a go to meeting or a join me. But we also ask, um, and this is, this is very tactical, please send us the deck in advance because if I do the briefing from uh, the gate at an airport, which, believe me, it happens. I'm not always at my desk and I'm not always online and I'm not always on a good connection. Um, let me just follow along. So, uh, you know, don't always count on us being able to be online. And also don't count on us uh, conducting briefings in person. If I do six briefings a day on Friday, which is my day that I personally reserve for briefings, it's like a doctor making house calls. I'd love to do them all in person, but I can't do six if I have to go to your office, unless we're at South By. So the deck is is, uh, probably essential, certainly very helpful and and provided ahead of time. Um, What's the maximum? Is there an optimum number of participants in a briefing? Uh, It isn't six or eight. You know, (laughs) usually it's one or two executives, but I have to, you know, for the same reason I can't conduct briefings in person, I limit briefings to 30 minutes. And that's because 
again, I try and, and fit a lot in. But it's for the same reason companies need to develop elevator pitches. If you can't convey to me the essence of your company in 30 minutes, you really need to hone your message. So, you know, that should be adequate time for you to tell me your story and also for me to have some time to ask a few pointed questions. And having four, five, six people on the call is just going to kind of mess that up. This has been Jillian Musig and Ann Kennedy at CEO Coach. You can find us on webmasterradio.fm. You can download these uh, shows at webmasterradio.fm, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and other places around the web. Find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash CEO Coach Podcast. We will find, uh, we will put down some links from this and many other of our interviews at CEO Coach. Till next week. This is Anne and Jillian. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.